bless him even right now. Strengthen him through the power of your might. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified through healing as well. I lift up his wife, Dee, that you would strengthen her, enable her and her ministry to her husband. And Father, that you would just bless them as they have been a blessing to our church. And so, Father, we just thank you for this evening. We pray for our time in your word tonight once again, that you would speak to us and guide us in and through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 13. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, once again, the title is part of the inspired word of God. And so David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Least my enemies say I have prevailed against him, least those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the first psalm that we really looked at in our uh, endeavor digging into the psalms. I'm not going through the book of psalms. I'm just picking a few choice ones out, ones that have ministered to me. And um, this one has always ministered very strongly to me. It's one of those that we start off seemingly in despair. In the middle of it, there's a recognition of God. There's a turning point. And at the end, there's the turning to the Lord and glorifying the Lord. Now, as I said previously as well, the Psalms can almost be put together as well. It almost seems as if where one leaves off, the next one picks up. And if you would look at the previous in Psalm 12, you'll see the words of the wicked versus the words of God. Compare verses 1 and 2. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from amongst the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. But then you go down to verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. And so there's this change of attitude, and the change of attitude in that psalm comes from a recognition of God's word. Look at verse 5. Again, this turning point for the opposition, or for the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy. Now I will rise, says the Lord, and I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. And so God rises up to do this work in the psalmist's life. And so this being the case tonight, we see the heart of the psalmist as he seeks after a word of God in the midst of a, well, pretty overwhelming situation. He's looking to God and he's seeking God with a passion. He's realizing the necessity for a touch from the Lord and the ear of the Lord. In Psalm 119, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. We're told in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. But then you look again, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 13. I mean, have you, have you ever felt this way? Kind of relate to David as he's writing these words, and we don't have to know specifically what he's going through, but we've been through things that have brought us to this point, if we're honest with ourselves, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Have you ever felt alone like this, given up on, or a bad word in Christianity? Have you just ever felt depressed? 
I'm not talking about a mental condition. And by the way, we've kind of demonized that within the church as well. But just as surely as lungs get sick, as a kidney gets sick, a brain can get sick as well. So there are such things as mental conditions, without a doubt. But that's not really what's being addressed here. This is just depression. And again, if we're honest with ourselves, I've been there. We're kind of afraid or maybe even ashamed to tell anybody that because we're worried what they may think. We're worried what they may say. Can a Christian be depressed? Well, I've known Christians that have been depressed. I've been depressed myself. We've all experienced these things and we've all dealt with these things. And again, I believe that everybody in this room can relate with verses 1 and 2. I mean, the attitude of the psalmist is this man who, although he's described David as a man after God's own heart, at this point, he seems to be so far away from the heart of God. Uh, Again, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It, It just doesn't seem like this is going to stop. It seems like this is so overwhelming. It seems like this situation, whatever it might be, is all encompassing. And it just seems like either God doesn't care or God has refused to listen. The parallel between his situation and ours during this time are the same. More than likely, well, it's not God who has moved. Because the Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that God is omnipresent. God is always there and God is everywhere. And, well, God at times, though, will allow us that example that we've used in the past to wander out from the shadow of his wings. It's not that we just aimlessly wandered off, but usually purposefully wandered off. But nonetheless, that's more than likely what David has done. He's experiencing this Christian life, if you will, equating it to that, but not, not walking in with the Lord strongly. He's either wandered ahead of the Lord or fallen behind the Lord, but he's definitely not walking side by side with the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we separate ourselves from the Word of God. We're, we're, we're not in the Word daily. And maybe at one point we were, but not anymore. We're, we're not as diligent in our fellowship. We're not coming together. We're forsaking the gathering together of the brethren. We'll make it once a week now or maybe once a month, whatever it might be, and we'll wonder, where did God go? Void of the knowledge of the presence of God, forgetting that he's there and he has an ear to hear. What? Well, he has an ear to hear my prayer. And I used to pray without ceasing, but not so much anymore. And now, all of a sudden, this is just simply a plea because I have forgotten who God is. And I have also forgotten, or at least here we see this example of the psalmist, how God is as well. And so David, David seems to have fallen into one of those pits, a pit of depression. And for some of us, that can just be so overwhelming and stifling in our daily lives. For some of us, we can kind of deal with it, come back to the Lord and move on. And we're all at different places. We're all different people. And I remember when I taught this psalm, had to be back in the early 2000s, somebody came up to me with tears in their eyes and thanked me for teaching that, teaching about depression because they were experiencing these things and they just felt like they were either not a believer or they just felt like God had abandoned them, very similar to what the psalmist says here. And unfortunately, we in the church can allow those people to suffer outside of the camp rather than engulfing them into the body of Christ and strengthening them and encouraging them. 
that the answer to their depression obviously is the Lord, but the Lord working through the body of Christ and ministering to their souls. There's two examples in the Bible of those who were apart from God, and again, that's where depression comes from, only to be reunited and used for the benefit of even whole cities. Remember Jonah? Jonah was a man who was called by God to be a witness to that city, Nineveh. But Jonah had no intention of being a witness to that city. He didn't care that much for the city, and he was disobedient to the Lord and what the Lord had called him to do. So he was on his way to Tarshish. Tarshish was a city in Spain. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Spain is right at the end of the Mediterranean Sea before you go off into, well, back in those days, the unknown. And so in essence, what Jonah was doing, Jonah was going to the ends of the earth, trying to get away from God. But you can't do that because God is not going to allow that to happen. And so what did God do? You want to be separated from me? He gave him a little bit of time to think about it. When Jonah was thrown overboard, God brought him to the point of brokenness to get his attention inside of that great fish. What was Jonah's main problem? Well, if you look, I'll I'll read it. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, God had told him, it says, well, starting at verse 1, the word of the Lord came to him and told him to arise, to go to Nineveh. But verse 3 starts off with, which a lot of our depression, a lot of our difficult days start off with, but Jonah, or but Mike, or you could put your name in there, but, but you had a better idea of some sort. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Jaffa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Tarshish is the place that you're outside of the will of God. Verse five, uh, uh, 4. So verse 3, there's a contrast here in these two verses. God had spoken to Jonah, and verse 3 says, but Jonah, and this is what Jonah did. And then verse 4, but the Lord. And but the Lord is going to go on for almost two whole chapters. This is what Jonah did. He went to Tarshish, but God. This is what God did, and it's pretty great in stature what God did. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Well, again, you know the story. He was thrown overboard, and he spent three days inside of that great fish until he came to himself there. And then we start all over again in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And if it was necessary, it would have been a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time, because God doesn't give up on his people. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell, tell you. Now this time it doesn't say, but Jonah, it says, so Jonah. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So you can imagine. Jonah, he, he, he hears the word of God. He understands the will of God and the knowledge of God, at least to the best of his ability. And it was obvious he had a pretty good idea on what the Lord wanted. But instead, he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and so he set off doing that, and God sent him a big fish. I've never been inside of a big fish, but I can imagine it's not a very pleasant place. 
Well, maybe I have been inside of a big fish. Not literally, but figuratively. Again, it's that place when you have that mindset that King David has. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I would imagine that Jonah probably could have pinned those words inside of that fish as well. Then there was a a woman that Jesus met at a a well in John chapter 4, and she was just going about her daily her her daily chores and doing what she needed to do. And this was a woman who was in sin. She had five husbands and she was living with another and she was not being obedient to God. But a woman who, despite her condition, in direct contrast to Jonah, this was a woman who seemed to maybe even previously be depressed. Because, I mean, sin, sin is going to leave you in that condition. But she was met by the Lord this particular day. And instead of being a but Jonah, she went and she did what God had called her to do. In John chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, it says, The woman then left, this is at the end of their time together, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And so here's a woman in direct contrast to Jonah. Jonah was disobedient, had to go through the whole fish issue. But here's a woman who was basically, if you will, going through a fish issue beforehand, but then heard from the Lord and now is obedient. What is she doing? She's simply telling people about Jesus. And then verse 39 through 42 of the same chapter, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word the woman of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. So you see these two great works, because even as Jonah finally was obedient, God did a great work in that evil city of Nineveh. These were the Assyrians. They had yet to rise to their zenith of power, but they were still an evil people, but they received the message and they repented. And as they repented, God relented. And now here's this woman, Samaritans, these people who were rejected by the Jews, but accepted by God. And it is all based upon this woman who went and spoke. These people who were in, at one point, some pretty difficult or maybe depressing situations, but God prevailed through the midst of them. So what you need to consider, what's it going to be for you, especially based upon what you know, what we read in the Word, and the things that we've been studying. If I want to be in the presence of God and the place of His blessings, I've got to be obedient to God. Because if I'm not, then I'm going to be suffering just as David was suffering when he penned that, penned that, that psalm back in chapter 13. And so God... God is willing to meet you. He's willing to allow you to go to that place of depression because he wants you to come to that place where finally you look up and you look up to him. You see, and and usually where depression comes from, our situation becomes bigger than our ability. And we realize our ability can't deal with the situation. We become depressed. Well, it's when we look to God that we become, well, taken out of that situation. So the Lord, the Lord will either meet you at the well in your everyday life routine, or he's going to have to send a well. It'll either be at a well or in a well, but either way, God is going to win. God's going to get your attention. He's going to bring you to the place 
where he's got your, he, he focuses in upon you and you're able to focus in upon him. So back in Psalm 13, whatever reason, David, again, this man after God's own heart, he's become depressed, seemingly because of a great enemy. And what are the greatest enemies that we face? And you need to look at it from that perspective as you read through the Psalms and David asked God to kill off his enemies and so on and so forth. I know the greatest enemies that I struggle with is me, myself, and I. It's the flesh, it's the world, and it's the temptation that the devil lays before me. It's that man who I look in the mirror every morning. That's where the great struggle truly is. Lord, kill off the enemy of the flesh. Lord, destroy the world, or at least, Lord, enable me to, to, to shun or to flee from the world. And Lord, as far as the devil, I know the devil's end, but as for today, Lord, just enable me and strengthen me to overcome his deception. And so David is depressed. He feels abandoned and separated from God. This psalm, Psalm 13, we're going to divide it up into three parts. Verses 1 and 2 are David's feelings of abandonment. Verses 3 through 4, a turning point, prayer as he seeks after the Lord. And then verses 5 through 6, rediscovered trust in God through God's faithfulness. So once again, verses 1 and 2, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And isn't that the question that we all ask when we're going through a trial, a tribulation, a depression? How long? How long is this going to last? And the thing that you want to know in the midst of it is, I just want it to be over. It was a year and a half ago, something like that. I had to have a tooth removed. It was the eye tooth here, and the eye tooth is the one with the longest roots. And Dennis came to that determination. There was an infection in there and just the whole thing. And so I went to the um, eye tooth removal guy, uh, the dental surgeon, and um, he goes, okay, well, um, did you bring a driver so you can be put under? And I go, well, I, I don't need to be put under. Just, just go ahead and pull it out. I mean, I, I want Novocaine, but don't get me wrong, I'm not that tough. But I just go and go, okay, yeah, we can do that. That's what you want. I'm like, well, yeah, it's no big deal. I've had a tooth pulled out before. And so he goes and he tries to pull it, and he can't get it out. And he's yanking on it, and he's jerking my head around, and I'm trying to hold my head and the whole thing, and it's very uncomfortable. So he goes, hold on, and he grabs something, and he puts this little chisel thing on the tooth and hits it with a hammer. And it feels like somebody was hitting me in the head with a baseball bat. And so then he go, you know, what he's trying to do is trying to loosen it up and so he can pull it out. And so it's the same thing. He, he's yanking on it and it ain't coming out. And so he goes and gets the chisel a few more times. It's not a chisel. It's more of a blunt instrument thing. But he hits it and knocks the tooth. And I'm just thinking, how long is this going to go on? I'm being traumatized here. How long? Just as long as, as is necessary. He, he didn't keep hitting it after it became loose. After it became loose, he took it out. And it's the same thing. We're going through a hard time, and, and we'll yell out to God, how long? Well, two things. First of all, it's going to be longer than you think. 
because we just want it to end, but God wants to achieve a great work through the trial or the, whatever it is that you're facing. And again, just as I said, secondly, it's going to be just as long is as is necessary for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And so if you get stuck in verses 1 and 2, it's just going to drag out because whatever it is that God wants to accomplish, one of the things in the midst of it is he wants to accomplish you seeking him out. He wants your dependency to be upon him. And so, look at Jonah. Why do you think Jonah was in the belly of a well, belly of a fish really doesn't say that it's a well, but belly of a fish for three days? Because one in two days wasn't long enough. Four days, that would have been too long. God's not going to destroy you. He's not going to allow you to go through whatever it is that you're going through for longer than is as is necessary. So day one, I would imagine if he just went inside that fish and was spit out, he's probably still going to Tarshish. Day two, he's probably thinking anywhere but in here. And then day three, yes, Lord, wherever it is that you want me to go. It's been said, if you want to do deep things for the Lord, you're going to have to go through deep places. And I look at some of the examples of people that I respect, of my elders as far as other guys who are pastors, and you could probably fill pages with the things that guys have gone through, just a couple of them, Steve Mays. Steve Mays is a man who went through a lot of hard times. He he woke up in gutters drunk before he was a pastor. He, uh, He was shot. He was shot in the leg, and he, he woke up, and his leg, leg was wounded, shot through. That affected his leg for the rest of his life. Matter of fact, for the longest time, he had one leg that was shorter than another. And I remember talking to him once, and uh, he had this surgery, and I don't know exactly how they did it, but they stretched out the leg to make it longer. He said it was the most painful thing he's ever experienced in his life, and this man has been through a lot. He pastored a church that folded at one point. It was really hard on him to do that. And he had a son-in-law who was literally assassinated. And then Steve, he's been through many surgeries, had many hip replacements. Pastor Chuck referred to him as the $6 million man. And then in the last surgery that he had, he passed away, but he went to be with the Lord. How long, Lord? How long he could have yelled out? And God would have said, for you, it's going to be the majority of your life. It's going to be the majority of your life. But all of those things will pale in comparison with the glory in which you will end up in. And again, that's one of those things that we need to realize. There's going to be things that we're going to be dealing with, that you'll be dealing with, we all will, for all of our lives. And some of these things will think, Lord, when is this going to be over? And God's going to say, not not during your time here in this this earth, not during your time in, in, in the world here. And maybe God is even going to do a deliverance, but it's going to be after you go to heaven for whatever it is that you're suffering for or you're praying for or whatever it might be. I mean, think of John Corson, the death of his wife, the death of his daughter, and now the death of his son. That's a hard thing. But the man is one of the greatest examples of Christian with joy. He he continues to push on. How long, Lord? Or I guess he could say, who's next, Lord? That's just got to be so hard. Don McClure, when he was a pastor, he's kind of a pastor at large now, and he kind of runs the Calvary Chapel uh, Association. But nonetheless, he he got a stroke, and he lost vision in in one eye. 
And, and God asked him, are you willing to move forward in ministry with me, even though you've suffered these things? And he could have asked why, but he continued to push forward. Pancho Juarez of Calvary Chapel is called The Ark now, but of Montebello, his wife has been dealing with cancer. And that's got to be a hard thing in the midst of ministry. And you can wonder, Lord, why? My wife is so valuable to me. And in the work of ministry, why have you allowed this? And we don't always get answers. Sometimes we're just flat out not going to get answers. But we continue to move forward. And we continue to take the steps of faith in God and who God is. And so the psalmist says, how long will you hide your face from me? It's a picture being void of God's presence, not so much God, it's the knowledge of God's presence. God, as I said earlier, is always there, but it's void of the knowledge of the presence of the Lord in his life. He see, you know, even as we see the rest of the verbiage, he feels like he's been abandoned by God. Now, when God was speaking to Moses and he told Moses to speak to his brother Aaron and that this is how you are to speak a blessing to the people. This is in Numbers chapter uh, 6 verses 22 through 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. The Lord makes his face shine upon you. Just to understand that the face of God, that I've got God's full attention. Now, you always have God's full attention, but the idea with his face shining upon you is that you're well aware that you are walking in the will and the knowledge of God that the hardship that comes into your life, well, you're well prepared because God is with you. For God's face to no longer shine upon you, that's to lose the blessing and to have a life that is cursed. And so David is feeling that right now, that, Lord, what happened? Just those times when it felt like you were always there, those times when you felt like you were walking right by my side, Lord, where did you go? When God's face ceases to shine, well, the absence of the glory of God is going to be filled with something, and we can allow it to become the darkness of unbelief, or at least the darkness of a lack of faith. And it's that which brings us into a situation such as we see here with David. What is required to get those blessings back? Well, in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, when we were studying Zechariah, we saw the translation, a better translation is, if you start over with me, God says, I'll start over with you. And we need to be of that mindset because our God is a God who is always allowing us second chances, allowing us do-overs, if you will that we always have this opportunity. Lord, I've gotten to this place, again, Psalm 13, verses 1 through 2. Lord, I I just need to take all of that away, and I just simply need to start over. I need to start anew, and I need to start fresh. In verse 2, David says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Is this going to go on every day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Because of the spiritual separation in verse 1, we see the transformation into the spiritual weakness in verse 2. 
It's how we become attractive prey to the enemy. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? No, take counsel in in the word of God. Having sorrow in my heart daily? No, seek the Lord daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Well, David is prime prey here. Very attractive prey. Now, I've learned what makes prey attractive. In the 60s, I grew up watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Marlon Perkins and Jim Fowler. Remember, Marlon was always one ta- doing a lot of talking, and Jim was the one who was getting run over by water buffaloes and all those things. He was, he was trying to tranquilize them or tag them, whatever they were doing. But the thing about it was, is who were the ones who were vulnerable? The ones who were vulnerable were the weak, the sick, and the young. Those who were separated from the pack were prime uh, prey for the predator. There was a thing on Facebook recently, a little snippet, a little video, and there were these two deer or they were two antelopes, something like that, and they were both fighting and their antlers were kind of locked together and they're busy fighting with one another and in the, in the foreground it shows a couple of the other ones and they look up and they go running off, but these guys are still fighting. What made the other ones go running off? There's a lion coming full bore at the two that are fighting. And until this lion is about three feet away, one of them finally sees and runs away, and the other one is attacked and killed, and I would imagine eaten. And I'm just thinking, there's a prime picture of the church. We can be so busy fighting amongst ourselves at the enemy, the enemy sees there's prime prey right there. Or we're fighting with our flesh, or we're fighting with the world, whatever it might be, and we become prime Pray. We become separated from the pack because our strength is in the pack. Our strength is in numbers with one another. But those who become depressed and then all of a sudden they fall away and they fall away to their own detriment. These predators, what they want to do is they want to get the greatest amount of calories while burning the least amount of calories. So they'll always prey upon the weakest. They'll always prey upon those who are sick those who are young, or those who are separated. First Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not that he's walking around because he can't find anybody. He's looking for the depressed. He's looking for the abandoned. He's looking for the spiritual sick. He's looking for the easy prey. And unfortunately, there's a lot that are out there. So we are to be calm, collected in our spirit, be very cautious and understand he's a deceiver and he's searching, but as long as I'm staying connected with my eyes upon the Lord, I'm in good shape. Secondly, we turn to, or we come to the turning point. Really what we see here is is a prayer seeking the Lord out. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep uh, sleep the sleep of death. Least my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Least those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So again, verse 3, consider and hear me, O Lord. This is a prayer. My God, enlighten my eyes. Show me the reality of the situation, Lord. And it's important. That's, That's a great prayer to pray when you're going through a time of depression, when you're going through a time of hardship. Lord, show me the reality of this situation. Why? Because we always make these things ten times worse than they really are. Lord, show me 
how this truly is, that I would get an accurate perception of what the reality is here. That, yes, I would see the, the weakness that I possess, that I can't depend upon that. Show me the reality of who you are in your strength and show me how feeble the enemy truly is. Because, again, at some point, we lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, we can so easily lose hope. Remember, there was Israel, God's chosen people. They were on one side of a valley. There was the Philistines. They were on the other side of the valley. And nobody was doing anything because they were afraid of one another. And then there was this really tall guy in the Philistines that he would walk down there and he would mock God's people. And David came off of the, the high ground from tending the sheep, bringing some food and some supplies to his brothers. And was, what in the world's going on here? See, they, they got caught up in the battle and all the things, and they were intimidated by the giant and the, and the enemy and all of this. And they kind of forgot who God was. And, and God's people now all of a sudden are inactive and they're not moving forward. But David, this man after God's own heart, he comes in and he's going, well, what's going on? We serve the living God. And, and these people are uncircumcised Philistines. And David's got it in proper perspective. And because of that, David, David is able to go out and slay his giant. He's able to do that. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that he asked or, or even anybody would ever really think. And so we've got to be that way. We've got to understand that we fight from the perspective of victory already in the Lord. We must be bold in the Lord. David's three-step program in prayer here, again in verse 3, Consider and hear me. Lord, hear my concerns. Lord, hear my thoughts. Lord, hear my fears. Hear me, Lord, in the midst of these things that are going on, and I have allowed to overwhelm. Because again, as I've said so many times, when we verbalize these things, and I think that's a big part of prayer, when we verbalize the things that we can be so concerned about, we're going on record, but we're also hearing them from a different perspective. And sometimes when we verbalize these things, we can come to the realization, you know what, that's not quite as bad as I've made it up to be even in my own mind. But really what he's wanting is the remembrance that, Lord, I'm a child and it's you, it's God Almighty who are my father. Jesus obviously understood this in Matthew 6.6. 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. So sometimes, you know, when we're going through, it's just like, help, Lord, help, help, help. Get specific. Get specific in your prayer. Again, verbalize these things in detail, and I guarantee you, God will enlighten you. And your father is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly, verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our father in heaven. And again, that word that he uses for father is Abba. We were in Israel, we're coming back, you know, and I've heard Abba and Bible studies, you know, just well familiar with the word, but not in everyday life. But there was some, a Jewish family that was behind us. It was like a two-year-old, three-year-old kid, whatever they were. And they wanted their father's attention. Abba, Abba, Abba. And as I was listening to that, I'm thinking, that's supposed to be what we're like. That's how we are to be. 
is to get our Father's attention, our, our, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, understanding that he is holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is constantly being worked out. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me what I need for this day. And forgive us our debts and forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And what's happening here is you're praying that prayer, and it's not that you just pray that prayer over and over, but Jesus' point, as you come to the realization of the majesty of God, then you're going to also come to the realization of whatever you're dealing with and how minor it really is in comparison to God. Now, it still may be overwhelming in your life, but understanding that God is able to overcome, understanding who God is in relation to who you are and your situation. So consider and hear me. Secondly, enlighten my eyes. May the glory of your face fill mine with the blessing of the knowledge of your presence. This is that song we used to sing so many years ago. Open the eyes of my heart that I may see you. That I may see you and that I may understand you. Now to open the eyes of your heart is the inner person. It's the place where God goes to meet us or where we go to meet God and to understand his, his presence and understand his purpose. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. The idea is don't be depressed about anything. It's an encouragement. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, that's easy to say. Hey, I'll whittle this this sermon down just in two minutes. We could have went home a long time ago. Don't worry about it, huh? That doesn't work. And you've had people, hey, don't worry about it. Just everything's going to be okay. That doesn't work. Just not by itself. And you can even say, Paul, that doesn't work. Be anxious for nothing. But then he's given us the remedy. But in everything, in all that you're dealing with, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, when he says with thanksgiving, you're praying a prayer of faith that God is going to move. Let your requests be made known to God. And then what's the result of that? Then the peace of God, because that's what David's missing here. He's missing not just peace, not a peace he's able to foster. He's missing the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is the peace that we are able to have as we're going through situations that can get the best of us and cause us to be depressed. And so the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, to have peace in the midst of hardship, because anybody can have peace when everything's going really, really good. But if I can find peace in the midst of the hardship and the difficult days, I'll do well in this life. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, what's it going to do? It's going to guard your heart. I'm going to have an inner peace. And my mind, I'm not going to be freaking out about everything. I'm going to be able to see things in their proper perspective. With God, with God at the center of my mind. And again, who he is and what he's able to do. Prayer, prayer makes us aware of God's ability and our lack thereof. Prayer makes us aware of the providence of God's hand that he provides for his children. And prayer reminds us that God is in control. And prayer shows us the goodness of our Lord. What does prayer do? Prayer centers our thoughts before the throne of God. And so our thoughts can just run in a million different directions. Prayer centers them before the throne of God. And remember the throne of God, that's the place of his authority and his ability 
to minister in the affairs of man. And then thirdly, verse 4, Least my enemies say I have prevailed against him, least those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Lord, let there be no victory for the wicked. Once again, that includes our flesh, that includes the world, it includes the devil, and it even includes the things that I just perceive even though they may not even really be there. Psalm 143, verses 11 through 12, Revive me, O Lord, for your namesake, for your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. If you're a born-again believer, never forget you are a servant of the living God. And then lastly, verses 5 through 6, a rediscovered trust in God through his, through God's faithfulness. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your mercy, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Just as I have trusted you in the past, my heart rejoices in your salvation today. And then in the future, verse 6, how all-encompassing this is, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Remember singing a new song, a fresh awareness of the grace of God. And that's what happens in the midst of this time of depression. As, as he finally seeks after the Lord, as he falls to his knees and pray, Lord, I have trusted in your mercy. Lord, I've trusted in your mercy that, that you're not going to give me what I deserve in the past. And, and as I've trusted in you in the past, you have never let me down. And just as the God who has never let you down in the past, he'll never let you down today nor in the future. And so because of that, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. As far as that, I'm just going to rejoice, God, that I am your child in the work that you have done. You have not saved me to deliver me over to the enemy. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Lord, I'll express my praises to you and my praises will spring forth from my heart even if it is in the midst of the difficult day in the hard time. And so what we see with David is you see how lost he is in verses 1 and 2 and we've all been there at some point in our lives. Verses 3 through 4, there's the great turning point. When David comes before the Lord in prayer, and verses 5 and 6, we see how God has enlightened him to who God is. And now all of a sudden, this man who seems so depressed, in verses 5 through 6, he's been strengthened and his confidence is in the Lord God. If you're dealing with depression, and again, I'm not talking about a mental condition, and that is a reality, and that does need to be treated. But if you deal with just simple depression, I shouldn't say simple depression, but depression, that's something that is unique to man. It is something that's common. A lot of people deal with depression. At some point, everybody deals with some degree of depression. And so we ought not to be hiding this. We ought not to be ashamed of this. We need to come before God with this. And sometimes we need help to come before God with the things that have caused us to fall into the verses 1 and 2 of our lives. We need somebody to help us and somebody to support us. That's what being a Christian in this life is all about. Really, it's all about telling people about Jesus, but it's also about God ministering to you through your brothers and sisters. Why? So at some point, well, first of all, so you be brought back to being a productive believer, but also that you may comfort others with the comfort with which you have been comforted as well. If somebody else is out there suffering in silence, that you would be able to enter into their life and to strengthen them and to lift them up.
Father, it's a great thing that you do, and that, Father, you have met us in a very personal way, and it was through somebody who shared the word. But, Father, you keep us in a very personal way as well. And again, it's somebody who shares or encourages us or or strengthens us as well. And so, Father, I pray that we would be open and receptive to the strength that we so need. Father, I pray that we would also be a provider to others, just as you have met us through a fellow believer, that, God, we would be that fellow believer who you would reach others through as well. And so, Father, the Word meets us in every aspect of our lives. And again, Christianity has even vilified some of these things, so there's so many that suffer in silence. Father, I pray that we would come out into the open. We would come out into the open, Father, and receive the goodness that you have for us. And God, I pray that as we do, it would make all the difference, that you would bring us to that point of trust, of walking strongly in the realization of who you are. Father, I pray for those who are in the dark place of depression that your face would enter in and shine so brightly, Lord. Do a work in their hearts, Father, and whatever it takes, and bring them to that place of coming back to you. And so, Father, once again, we just thank you for how, how, how applicable your, your word is to our lives and how valued it is. And so, Lord, just bless us, enable us, Father, for this great work of ministry, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? That would be great. You guys probably... that's on the bottom of the song odd, not oddly, godly I should say enough is Isaiah 6 1 where he says you know I saw the Lord and if you've been through a study I'm sure Pastor Mike has done it where the first five chapters are whoa 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 was this what was that then he sees the Lord and all of a sudden everything's good you know
bless you guys. Always great to be with you. God bless you. We'll see you soon.